please be seated. Yeah, what a wonderful song to lead us into corporate prayer, the powerful name of Jesus, just to reflect on that. This week I've been interstate, and while I was away I've been reflecting on the book of Acts that we've been going through, and I was thinking of Paul and his travels visiting so many different cities. In Acts 17, we read that while he was in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And in verse 23, we learn that he even found an altar to the unknown God. Sadly, we live in a community that is also full of idols and altars. Too often, people are looking for meaning in life. They seem to miss what the Lord has to offer. They build their lives on worthless gods and don't give, but don't give full meaning or fulfilment. They know there's more to life, but seem to be looking in the wrong places or striving in their own strength to find the unknown God. I've been challenged this week to ask, what am I doing to present Jesus to those I come into contact with? those who are looking for the so-called unknown God. As we come to prayer this morning, I ask that we reflect on that question and what the Lord's saying to us. In Psalm 136 we read, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can join together this morning in prayer. We thank you that you are the God of gods and the Lord of lords. We acknowledge that your love endures forever. As we come to you in prayer, we recognize you as the source of all blessing and the giver of all life. We magnify and honour your name, confessing that you alone deserve all our praise. We thank you, Lord, for the mystery of creation, for the beauty that we see in nature, and for wonders of the universe that we cannot fathom. We give thanks for the gift of life. We affirm that your breath sustains all things and nurtures all life from conception to final breath. We thank you for the communities that we live in. Thank you for the families and the source of joy and strength and encouragement they can be. We pray for those struggling with the hurt and pain and disappointment of broken or strained family relations. We ask for reconciliation and restoration in these cases. Thank you for friends who love us by choice and give us companionship. Thank you for those we work with who share our burdens and daily tasks. Thank you for children who not only bring challenges but also moments of delight. Thank you for the unborn who are the future. Father, this morning we pray for those who are searching for the unknown God, those who lack purpose and meaning in life. 
Lord, we ask that they may come to know and understand your love for them. We also think of people who have built altars in their lives to meaningless gods. We think of those who have been let down and had their expectations dashed by putting trust in things that are not of you. Lord, we ask that they may find true fulfilment in you and your plans for their lives. Father, give us discernment as we share with others and help us to have the right words to speak or the right actions to employ as we relate to those we come into contact with. Eternal and loving God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge with thankfulness your faithfulness and leading in life and all the blessings you give. We humbly ask that you continue to move us, to grow us, to transform us, opening new opportunities for us to share the marvels of your kingdom with others and with each other in the days, weeks and years to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. It's uh, great to be back with you after a little time off. In fact, um, I was... I was thinking about how when Paul writes his pastoral letters, he'd often say how he's, he missed uh, being in fellowship or he's uh, missed the time that uh, he could be with uh, the church. And it's so true that we are a family and, it's, and we miss each other. It's good to be gathered together. Uh, and, and on that note, Anne, it's so wonderful that you're with us in person. It's a wonderful thing that you're, you're here. Bless you after having to watch online for so long. Uh, and uh, Kiara and Callum, it's great that you guys are here with us as well this morning up from the southeast. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, if you are online watching this for the first time, if you're, you're new here this morning, I just want to uh, welcome you. Uh, I just want to say from the outset, I'm not actually feeling 100% this morning. So if I keel over halfway through, it's not because I'm overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> It's just that I'm not feeling so great. But uh, we serve a great God. Uh, we sang that song and, and Sue led us so beautifully when she, she said, you know, we are, this is a God who breaks chains, who moves mountains, who empowers people. And we, we trust that God's going to be moving through this time right now. I just want to pray again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that uh, in our weakness you are strong. Lord, we thank you that... Uh, as we look through the, the book of Acts, we see so many people just like us, ordinary, everyday, unschooled people doing amazing and wonderful things because they're empowered by your spirit to do them. And so now, Lord, we just pray for your empowerment, just pray for your, um, your presence amongst us as we listen to your word. Help this word to be spoken with truth and love and for it to take effect in our hearts and for us to go away changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to um, also thank uh, those who uh, stepped up, particularly Adam and Andrew last week. Weren't they fantastic uh, to see uh, them share the word of God together? And also thanks to Mike who helped coordinate the, the two weeks when I was away. Uh, just wonderful that we're a church family where many gifts can be, be shared. 
also want to thank Anthony for stealing my message this morning uh, in your corporate prayer. <laughs> so it's wonderful that those thoughts came to you uh, this week because those thoughts are the exact same thoughts that we're going to be speaking on this morning. So we are in the middle of a series on Acts, and we're calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because we're believing that it's the Spirit uh, that moves and changes the hearts of people as the gospel was spread forth from the early church. And uh, we're in Acts chapter 17. We're in the middle of Paul and Silas's now, but Paul's second uh, missionary journey. Uh, The first missionary journey was a short journey. In fact, I've got it here. You can see uh, they they started in the church in Antioch and went to Cyprus and up into Galatia uh, and back again. And it was kind of in a way, a bit of a a training ground for what was to come. It was a a small journey in part compared to the second missionary journey, if we look where they've gone much wider, much further. And again, it's a picture of what happened in the book of Acts. The gospel, the truth went out further and rippled further and further out. So now they're entering into Europe. And last week, we uh, Adam talked about how uh, they'd wanted to go into Asia, but the Spirit kept kept stopping them from going where they were wanting to go. So clearly they had a, a plan, a strategy of where they wanted to go. But I think what amazes me is that sometimes God closes doors in order for him to open up other doors. The Spirit would always move them forward in what they were wanting to do. The Spirit never said, well, go backwards. And I just want to start as an encouragement for us in our lives. It's it's the same for us. God is always pushing us forward into new things, into what he's calling us into, a new chapter, a a new season, a new ministry. Very rarely does he just say, go back. So Paul didn't say, hey, let's talk about the glory days of the first missionary journey. Wasn't that great? Remember the time we were in Galatia and the spirit moved and... And so same with us in our lives. If, if our stories, if our, our conversations with one another are about things that happened 2, 10, 30, 50 years ago, then, then there's a problem there because what is God doing now? What is God calling us into now? And so Paul and Silas, they weren't um, put off by the fact that they couldn't go where they were going to because God opened the door into Europe and they had that call from the man from Macedonia to come and to minister to them. They end up there in uh, Philippi up here and it's there that they have their, their time in jail, singing in chains, singing hymns and praising. And what I love about that verse is, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. As we live our lives, uh, people listen to us and listen to the hope that we have. Uh, And so we left there in in Philippi last week, uh, and today we're going to be looking at how they went to Thessalonia and then down to Athens, and then next chapter is when they're in Corinth. But isn't it wonderful when you go through the book of Acts and you study these journeys, the context of Paul's pastoral letters? Because he's writing to the Philippians, he's writing to the Thessalonians, he's writing to the Corinthians, (laughs) 
And we actually see the towns where he went in and his, his strategy was to go into big areas to um, start churches, to put people in leadership and to then leave and go to another big city. And the point of that was that those big cities, those um, churches would then go out and in a similar way that they did spread the gospel. So Paul, his strategy wasn't to go into little towns and just start churches. He went into the major cities, particularly where there was synagogues, where there was a Jewish um, population, because he was able to reason with them from the Scriptures, being a Pharisee himself, and explain that this is the Messiah, Jesus. And the understanding then was that the, the Jewish Christians that would come to faith would have a better understanding to then spread the gospel because they had this background. So that's just kind of the background of this this morning. So let's, uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to have them open, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. As we've done through this whole series, we're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to uh, pull out things as we go along. So when Paul and his companions had passed through these towns, these were the, the towns that they the passed through up here, again, they, they were just smaller towns and he had a, a, a mission to get to somewhere that had a synagogue. They came to Thessalonia um, where there was a Jewish synagogue, as was his custom. There it is. Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Isn't that a great phrase? He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Can I encourage you when you... Uh, share with your family, uh, particularly parents and kids, and you're sharing the faith, reason with the scriptures. And he was there for three Sabbath days. Now, we know that Paul was there longer than just three weeks um, because as he writes in, in Thessalonians, we get that understanding. But here Luke just talks about the, the fact that he was reasoning with the Jewish people in the synagogue for, for three weeks and he, it was explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is Jesus. This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah, he says. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Don't you just love that? <laughs> and a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. Now, what we see all through the missionary journeys, is there's two reactions to Paul's preaching of the gospel. There are those that believe and there are those that reject. And the rejected people actually get quite angry and form a mob and go chase them out of town. In fact, it's a bit of a deja vu in his second missionary journey with his first missionary journey. He'd go to a town and he'd preach the gospel and some would believe and some would be angry, and he'd go to another town, and some would believe, and then the, the people from the town he'd just been were like following him along the way, and the crowd and the angry mob was getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they were sort of driven out of town. And it's the same thing that's happening here, and that's going to happen here. So these Thessalonian uh, people who rejected the gospel were going to get cross and angry and follow him and drive him out, and those who were accompanying Paul protected him and said, okay, now, now it's time to go, Paul. Let's get out of here and, and go. So the gospel is quite often divisive. 
when we speak the truth of who Jesus is, there are some that do understand and come to faith, and there are some who turn away. But other Jews were jealous. The other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. Now, have any of you got a different translation of the description of these people? Because I think sometimes the NIV just makes it a bit too easy of what's actually going on. What have you got, Soren? Wicked men of the rabble. Wicked men of the rabble. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got um, troublemakers. We get a better, better understanding now, don't we, of what's going on. I've got certain lewd fellows of the Bassa sort. That's a great description, isn't it? A great understanding of the type of people that this crowd got. So we're not strong enough or we're, we're not intellectual enough to, to take on these people. But we want to deal with them. So let's get these wicked men, these lewd sorts, to actually stir up trouble and do our dirty work for us. So they... They get these bad characters from the marketplace and form a mob and started a riot in the city and they rushed to Jason's house. Now, who is Jason? We don't really know much about Jason at all. Obviously, Jason is, is a Christian who's um, holding the, the missionary party up in his house. But they searched for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting... These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Jason has welcomed them into his house. Now, I love that people like Jason are named in the book of Acts. Because as we read of the characters that we see doing amazing and wonderful things, we can think of Paul and his ability to speak different languages and he's he's educated, or we can think of Peter and his boldness to, to preach, and we can think, oh, I'm not really like that. What's... What's my part to play in the kingdom of God in the in the gospel? Well, there are there are Barnabases and there are Ananiases and there are Jasons in the book of Acts who played their part in the gospel reaching the nations. And you too can play your part in our church's uh, mission to reach the community and to reach the world. And you might not be an on the stage speaker type person. But you might be an encourager or you might be a, a, a hospitality person that welcomes people into your home. You might be a prayer who prays. We all, have, we all need our, our Jasons who, who did his bit. But the men had a particular accusation of Paul and, and Silas. Again, the NIV just robs us of what's going on here. These men who have caused trouble all over the world. Has anyone got another translation of that verse? There's one particular one that I'm looking for. Yeah? That Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decree of Caesar, saying that there is no king Jesus. Yeah, yeah, the bit before that. Um, in in middle of verse 6. Thank you, Sue. These men have turned the world upside down. What an accusation. Now, 
obviously they're saying that as a criticism. But as a Christian, what a compliment. These men have turned the world upside down. Now, of course, as, as, as people of faith, we actually see this, that they've actually turned the world the right way up. <laughs> Ever since the, create, uh, the fall, uh, mankind has been living for themselves and living apart from God's decrees and laws and, and life that he has for us, uh, each one going their own way. And so the world has been turned upside down by sin and now these men who preach the gospel are turning the world up the right way, putting things back how God has originally planned it to be. Now, can you say of yourself that you've turned your world upside down? Have you turned your workplace upside down? Have you turned your family upside down? What a, what a wonderful thing to think about and a compliment to give ourselves when we see the, the activity of God working through us to make such a difference that they, they clearly saw it. Man, you've turned this world upside down. Now, they, these Jews, they could not uh, find fault, theological fault, with what Paul and Silas were saying. They had to turn their attack into a political one. So rather than saying uh, these men, are, which what we saw earlier on in Acts, the because now the movement of the church is actually taking part and we're actually seeing a lot of people being, being changed. They're not sort of saying that they're, they're blaspheming and they're, they're, they're saying the wrong thing. They can't argue like that anymore. So now they say they're defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Now that's true. <laughs> they were defying Caesar's decrees because Caesar was saying there is one king, me, and you must serve me only. And this would later get the Christians in trouble and, and cause a lot of persecution. But the, the accusation is now political. There's one called Jesus. When they heard this, a crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil and they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So they're going to uh, pay, pay money and, and say that they're not going to come back into their house. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. Okay, okay, this is starting to get out of hand, guys. Time, time for you to go. We've been through this before. Let's, let's get out of here. And they sent them to Berea. And on arriving there, here's the custom again. They went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, I love this description of the Bereans. Now, the Berean Jews were more noble of character than those in Thessalonia. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Man, that's such a good, good description of a Christian. And what we should be doing is every day examining the scriptures to see if what we believe is true. We are a people of the book. And as a result, here we go. Many of them believed as did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. So it's gone to Thessalonica, now to Berea, but this angry mob is following them. 
But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word in Berea, some of them went there too. So now they're following him, making this crowd, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. Okay, it's getting out of hand again. But Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens. And, and then Paul left instructions for Silas and Timothy to join. So it's got out of hand. Paul is sent to Athens Timothy and Silas are left in Berea. And now we get into the famous part of Acts chapter 17 that uh, Anthony was speaking about. But for the first time, Paul is on his own. He doesn't have his ministry uh, companions with him. And he's wandering through the city and he's taken by what he sees in front of him. While Paul was waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him, He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace. And then he went up to Mars Hill. So three areas of ministry that we can also uh, see in our lives that are good areas to go in. First of all, the marketplace. And in the church, the synagogue, the marketplace, the, the world around us. And then in the political scene, he goes up to, in a, in a sense. Now, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Now, what's interesting is if we uh, look into what it means to be an Epicurean or a Stoic philosopher, what we see is something very similar to what we see today. The Epicureans were uh, people who, they, they believed in God, but God was kind of far away and out there, and there was no afterlife. So life was about pleasure. Life was about all that you could do to, to have pleasure and enjoy yourself because there's no afterlife, so just spend your days and weeks doing whatever tickles your fancy, and it's all about that. Now, does that remind you of anyone in our society today? <laughs> that life's short, do what you want, uh, seek pleasure for yourself, don't, don't worry about what tomorrow may bring. Like That is very still strong in our society today. And the Stoics, they were a bunch of philosophers who felt like that God was everywhere in nature and inside people, very kind of new age kind of understanding, but that in order to get the best out of life, you had to um, undo the bad character traits in, in yourself. So you, in a way, conquering the world was to conquer yourself first and to be morally upright and to be very good and make sure that you, you did well. Again, does that remind you of a philosophy that is in our world today and in our society? So either live for yourself and do what you want and just go after your pleasure, or it's about being good and being upright and doing the right thing, very, very religious. So these groups started a debate with him. So he's sitting there walking around and starts this debate. And some of them said, what's this babbler trying to say? They they couldn't understand 
about the resurrection. Now, when Paul goes into the Jewish synagogues, there would be an understanding of what Paul was talking about. But now he's really in a Gentile world, in a a worldly philosophy, and they're just saying, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, and where they said to him, now this is really interesting, they're like, tell us more. Like there's, there's something about what you're saying. May we know this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they, are, they mean. Now I love verse 21. All the Athenians and the other and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. <laughs> sounds like a university campus. <laughs> well, it sounds like our society today, doesn't it? Oh, have you heard so and so? Like, there's this new idea. There's this you know, and it kind of your itching ears. You want to go, oh, what's this, what's this they're talking about? Or oh, some new kind of concept? Or this guy who's a really great public speaker and on social media? Have you guys seen these videos? Like wanting the latest thing, the newest thing, the, the most up-to-date modern thing? <laughs> Man, society hasn't changed. The people that Paul was speaking to back then are exactly the same that we find speaking to today. But you know what? While they're looking for the new thing, the gospel is an old thing. And the gospel doesn't change with the newest fad and the the latest speaker. That's why Paul says, search the scriptures. Right from the very beginning, from Abraham, through the prophets, Jesus' teaching, it's all one story. It's all one message. It's nothing new. But it has the power to transform the world. Then Paul stood up in the meeting and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Here we see another side of Paul. He's being very polite, isn't he? Do you remember the time when he looked intently into the eyes of the guy and he he told him off? We 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 don't see Paul going... Men of Athens, I see that you are pagans and, and you are, you know, <laughs> you have no understanding of reality. I, I see that you're very religious. I see that there's a culture here of trying to understand the world that you live in and make sense of it. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship and I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now they would have made this idol because they didn't want to potentially offend a God that they didn't know. If there was a God that had power, let's just, let's just um, make sure we, we get it right so that this God we don't offend and bad things don't happen to us if we, we set up this idol. But here's, of course, Paul's genius, and what most people pull out of this passage is that he completely changes his method of evangelism based on the the people that he's speaking to. When he's speaking to the Jewish people in the synagogues, he reasons from the scriptures and he pulls out Old Testament prophets and he shows that who Jesus is based on that. Now when he's with a bunch of philosophers who have no understanding of the scriptures, 
he changes his tact and he starts quoting from Greek poets and he speaks with them where they're at. And that's the genius of Paul and what he does here. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I proclaim to you. So he takes this opportunity. Here's an unknown God. I'm going to make this God who you don't know known to you. And that is each and every one of our tasks. I believe that everyone in the world believes that there is a God. But it's unknown to them. And it's our task to make the reality of who Jesus is known to our friends and our community. And then he... He does something really interesting. The Greek philosophers would always start with themselves and reason and come up with ideas that sort of then go up to God and you end with God as your, as your end point. Paul starts with who God is and then he reasons and then where does mankind's place fit in, in that whole thing? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So he's the creator. Rather, he gives himself everyone life and breath and everything else. He is the sustainer. From one man he made all the nations that that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you should underline that verse because that is a verse for you. You know, God appointed you for this point in history and that you would be here at this time for the purposes of God in your life. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So God's not distant. He's not out there. He's, he's here. He's with us. And now he quotes the Greek poets. This is a a quote from a poet. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now here we see how well educated and and grounded Paul was in in culture and, and understanding that he can just quote poets off the top of his head as he can scriptures. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. So images and idols were always made by human hands. <laughs> but God is not something that's made and, and formed by ourselves. And we do this today. Our idols are maybe not formed by hands, but they're formed in our minds. But God is God who always was and always will be. An image made by human design and skill. No, not that. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now... Now he, he's the judge. He, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that is Jesus. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So here's proof that this Jesus is the Messiah because he's been raised from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you on this subject again. At that, Paul left the council, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. 
Now, as we look at this amazing thing that happened on, on Mars Hill, and, and many people often talk about this as an amazing idea of how to reach people by getting on their level, speaking in their terms, and, and then uh, introducing God into it. If you actually look at it, though, how successful was this sermon in in starting a church or believers? Because in Thessalonica, a church was started. In Philippi, a church was started. I don't know. There's Maybe he did write a letter to Athens. I don't know, but we don't have them in our scriptures. But... But what happened here in Athens? A few believed. Now, we might look at that and go, gee, what's going on there? But I see this as a huge encouragement because this was hard ground. These were philosophers and thinkers and people who thought that they had it all together and and knew it all and were hard to please. A bit like our society today. I think, I think sometimes we, we can get discouraged when we want to uh, evangelise and we don't see much fruit. But, you know, the ground of Australia is pretty much like the ground of Athens. It's hard. It's hard work. A, a few believed. Now, just to finish off, I want to go back to what Anthony brought out is that as Paul was by himself, he's, he's a tourist in the city in a way, and he's walking around Athens. Has anyone been to Athens? Yeah, a few, few people have been to Athens. Were you, were you wowed by the architecture and the culture? And I, rec- I reckon I would be. I've, I've been to a, a few uh, European cities. I've been to Rome, and I was kind of wowed by that as you look at the Colosseum and... And, and places like that and what they, what they did. And Paul is a bit like a tourist and he's walking around, and, but Paul has a different reaction to perhaps what you and I would have. You and I might walk around Athens and go, wow, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Look at all these statues and and buildings and culture and wow. Do you know what Paul's reaction was? <laughs> he was disgusted. He was sickened. He was bothered, distressed. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. Now, the word there... Um, to talk about greatly distressed is a word that speaks about a physical, emotional reaction. Some translations say his spirit was stirred. I don't think that's quite there, but I like this. He was deeply troubled. Paul looked around at the idols and he was deeply troubled. Why? There was 30,000 Idols, statues in in, in Athens, thirty thousand. In fact, some um, people used to say in those days it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man, because there was just that was just everywhere. And he looked around and he said, "This whole city is putting their hope in something that is dead." 
they are trusting in these things made by human hands to satisfy and to bring purpose and reason to their lives. But it's a hopeless case. These idols can't save you from sin. These idols can't transform a broken heart. These idols can't take the old and make it new. These idols have no power in them to heal, to transform, to do miracles, nothing. And so he was greatly troubled. I wonder if I was in Athens, if I would have been greatly troubled, if I would have just been, wow. <laughs> I had a, um, back in my band days, I had a VHS and I wish I could have put it onto a digital thing because I have a, a, a time when we were in Sydney for the first time and I've got it on video and I couldn't make it into a digital form so I'm going to have to just tell the, tell the story. Now, growing up, I was, I was pretty sheltered and I, was, I wasn't really sort of aware of a lot of the things in the world growing up in a sort of Christian home. And I started this band and we started to tour the country and we went to, to other cities in, in Australia. And the first time we were in Sydney, uh, we, were, we were playing in the heart of Sydney in the pubs and clubs uh, as a band. And I've got this video that was taken where we're walking down the main street and we're actually counting all of the strip clubs on the, on the, on the road. It's like one, two, three, four, five. And we get to the end of the, the road and I think there's like 15 on just one road. And so it's a very similar thing. Paul was walking through Athens and he noticed stuff and he was disturbed now, as we were walking through there, I probably wasn't disturbed. I was probably kind of like, what is this? <laughs> because I was like a young person. I was like, what's going on? But here's the thing. Because we weren't disturbed, because we weren't sickened, we didn't really do anything about it. You see, if you look around your world, as you walk through Marion, and you look at the idols of self and image and celebrity and prosperity and middle-class contentment, and we've got idols today. As you walk around your world and you notice these things, if you're not disturbed about it, then you won't do anything about it. If it doesn't sicken you, then you'll just walk by it and just go along with the crowd. Paul was troubled. Therefore, he spoke to them. He reasoned with them. He did it. Can that be an encouragement for us this morning? As we look around our world, as we look around our society as we see what's in front of us, that we wouldn't just be... Um, oh, there's a word there, it's gone. Desensitised by what we see. But it would stir us in our hearts because 
no amount of duty or no amount of um, feeling like we have to do something is going to bring about change. But what's going to bring about change in our world is a change in our heart, where we see the world as God sees the world. If we see lost people who are putting their hope in things that have no eternal value and we aren't disturbed or distressed, then we're not going to do anything about it. But if we have a heart like God has, if we see people like God sees people and see them with compassion and love and see that they're putting their hope in dead things, then we'd be moved to action and to do something about it. I'm going to invite the music team up. I was preparing for this morning and I'd asked, I'd asked Sue to just come up with a song at the end that might fit and I felt like the Spirit just put this song in my heart that I want us to sing. And I want us to sing it as a prayer. In the bridge, it speaks about break my heart for what breaks yours. Wouldn't that be our prayer this morning? That our hearts would be broken for what breaks God's heart. That as we leave this place, as we go into our spheres of influence, as we speak to friends and family and colleagues, that our hearts would be moved with compassion for people who are lost, people who put their hope in false idols in such a way that we'd want to do something about it. We'd want to speak about the truth of who Jesus is, that there is hope in him, that he gives life, that he transforms our heart, that he gives us an eternal future with him, that it doesn't matter about what we do, whether we're stoic or epicurean in our thinking, what matters is that he has made a way that we can come into relationship with him. It's not about our doing and our bettering of ourselves. It's not about pleasure. It's about coming into what he has planned for us and living in the freedom and the joy of his life for you and his purposes for you. Can we stand? I want to pray the bridge of this song corporately for us and for that to lead into this song that we'd sing as a prayer as a church I've forgotten the words (laughs) Lord we just pray that you would heal our heart our heart that maybe be selfish that maybe just be surprised by what we see but not sickened So heal our heart and make it clean, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to the things unseen, to the things that you're doing in this world that we can participate with you and join in with. Show us how to love others like you have loved us. And break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. 
everything we are for your kingdom's cause. As we walk from this temporal place, earth, into eternity, forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's interesting um, thinking about the trouble and observing the trouble in the world. And I don't know if you're a bit like me, I look on social media or the news and you can get troubled and then potentially lead yourself to a sense of despair. Or um, the other side of that is you'll, you'll find like-minded people and have a sense of you know, outrage and be, be sort of satisfied with knowing there's other people who are outraged. But I think... Um, yeah, I just want to pray for us that we have a heart like Paul and that uh, sense of trouble, as Sam's really well articulated there, um, will be motivated to share the love and, 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 and share the goodness of Jesus and that we have actually have an answer. We don't just have to sit back and um, sit in our trouble. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we're in awe of your goodness and the, and the courage of Paul on his mission trips. And Lord, sometimes that just feels so difficult to be like that. Um, Perhaps we're stuck in a rut and that we need to be stepping out. I just pray for this community, this family, that you'll give us the power in your Holy Spirit to step out and do something that is positive, that speaks into people's lives, that you will give us a strength that we never thought possible to love others and to speak with clarity, drawing on your scriptures and and bringing life and love because that's what we want to do, Lord. We want to serve you and be part of what you're doing and not just sit back. I just pray for everyone here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks, everyone. Um, If you would like prayer for those things, uh, we have prayer room obviously at the back there. It would be great to join um, or perhaps someone at the front. Yes, and just some housekeeping just before we close. We, we're not going to continue with the night service tonight. Um, as Sam hasn't been feeling great, so we're going to not have that tonight, just so you know. Um, but, yeah, please stay now and join us for a coffee and, yeah, some fellowship together. Thank you.